when you can begin to observe your breathing pattern, for a lot of the times you can begin to pick up on those little kind of cues in your breath before that panic attack blooms into like a full-blown panic attack. And that's how I fixed my anxiety, but I'm not consciously putting effort into it because after a while it becomes automatic. And when I start to, you know, breathe in a certain way, hold my breath or shallow breathe, I'll pick it up before that turns into anxiety. I'm Donna Edda, and you're listening to The Interested Podcast, the show that brings you ideas for wellness. In this episode, Brian Lai joins me to talk about how breathwork affects your mood and mental health, our body's ability to adapt, and if we don't use it, we lose it. We talked about the three entry points to the nervous system and how we can implement simple strategies to a calmer state. Brian discovered breathwork while on a journey to improve health issues of his own, and his search led him to Wim Hof, best known for his superhuman abilities redefining human potential. And if you don't know who he is, look him up. Brian trained under Wim Hof, becoming the first certified instructor of the Wim Hof Method in Asia, and has since continued the path and trained with other masters, including Patrick McEwen and Dan Brule. Brian's mission is to help the people of Hong Kong and Asia live better by breathing better. And without further ado, here is the conversation with Brian Lai. I was working in Australian finance and I was absolutely sick of that. So my friend asked me if I want to make a movie with him and I had no experience at all doing movies. But I knew that I needed a change. I was completely bored out of my mind. I wasn't growing. I wasn't learning anything working in the bank. So I just said, you know what, I'm going to quit and uh, do this do this project with you. And then, you know, like probably a lot of beginners, we didn't plan the budget properly. And uh, we ran out of money in post-production. So when we ran out of money, I actually, that's when I came to Hong Kong. So I was in Australia doing this. So I came to Hong Kong just to try and raise more money. And the reason why I came to Hong Kong was, you know, there's more rich people in Hong Kong, I guess. One thing led to another and I started kind of meeting some people that were, I guess, in the more affluent community, the, the richer people, I guess. What I kind of found over time getting to know these people was that a lot of these people weren't actually very happy mm-hmm. with their lives. Uh, they were actually quite lonely. They were quite just not happy, which is absolutely mind-boggling to me back then because everything that I was doing in my life was to try and get rich, to try and get famous, which is why I got into movies. You know, back then I would have given you some other excuse, but in hindsight, it was really just to, you know, make a name for myself and get rich and famous. And when I started to see these people that were, you know, that had everything that I wanted, which is all the money, you know, famous friends and, you know, just all that kind of stuff, the glitz and the glamour, that kind of stuff. And even after all that, they were deep down still pretty miserable or not very happy at least. And when I realized that, it kind of, it shattered my, I guess, paradigm or what I thought would, would make me happy in life. From that instance, I went to a bit of a depression, I guess, mild depression because of that, because just my whole concept of what I was working towards and to, to be happy in life was completely shattered. And I went back to Australia for a few months where I was, I mean, back then I didn't know I was going through depression, but I was just, I went back to my parents' place and I was just pretty much locking myself in my room and I didn't want to come out see anyone, I didn't want to do anything for a few months. And yeah, eventually one one day, I just knew I had to get out of that loop, get out of that funk of just... How did you know though? Because I know that for people who are suffering from depression, sometimes they don't even recognize it. One night I was just sitting in my room and I was kind of going through that in my head where I was like, okay, Brian, you can't can't keep going like this. Mm. You have to snap out of it somehow. And somehow I just had this epiphany, just thought just come in my head. And that thought was that, you know, whatever I was doing was because of the external things around me. So I thought, I can't change the external environment around me. And um, and I want to kind of realize that, I'm like, okay, so if I can't change the stuff around me, then maybe I could do something inside, do some inner work inside. Uh, and back then I had no idea what to do. I just knew that, I just had that epiphany that instead of focusing outwards, I should maybe focus inwards. And from there, luckily, I was very lucky that my brother was kind of going through the same he wasn't going through depression, but he was kind of going down a similar path uh, in terms of trying to do some inner work. And uh, he was signing up for something called a Vipassana retreat. 
for those that don't know what a vipassana retreat is vipassana is a type of meditation the kind of the original meditation technique from Gautama buddha that was passed down from india uh, out to the west and um, it's one of those 10-day silent retreats I'm, I'm sure you've probably heard of that i've been you, wanting to do this for so long you should totally do it on my yeah, it's list. brutal but you should totally do it it's uh literally you go there for it's actually a bit of a trick it's not 10 it's 12 days because they don't count the first half day the last half day so it's actually 11 to 12 days um and you pretty much go there and you pretty much meditate for like nine ten hours a day and that's pretty wow. much all you do and there's you can't talk to anyone you can't you're not even supposed to look them in the eyes there's no phone there's no you can't even have a book there's just no stimulus whatsoever it's just a complete kind of detox from just regular society i'm one of those people that i i throw myself in the deep end leading up to that i was asking my friends oh you know what they thought and back then i had no friends that were into any of this stuff like med- meditation yoga breath work so all my friends were telling me that it's a cult so don't go it's a cult you know um and they go why don't you just spend you know spend your money spend your time go to thailand or something just spend two weeks on the beach instead and you know i came very close to to canceling it and and doing that but just something inside was telling me that i had to do this i guess i just listened to my gut that time and i went with my brother to that uh to that vipassana retreat and that was back in australia in the morning there'll be like a family kangaroos there and it's you know at nighttime there's no light pollution there so you just see the milky way you see all the stars it's 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 beautiful like people would pay to have that kind of like view you know so and me personally it's free for those that don't know it's free and it's donation based so they cover everything and you pay what you you feel is worth uh but for me it was an absolute game changer so what changed after that experience what were you how did your priorities change after it was more during the experience um it's just you, you, you realize that you're, you have no control over your own mind. You begin to observe your own thoughts. Yeah, you're able to actually watch yourself have these emotions come up and thoughts come up. Whereas before, before, you're, before any of this, you are your thoughts. You, you get trapped in your own thoughts. And just the first three days of, of that retreat was just, just trying to quiet down my mind. And I had no, it was just so loud. I could not. I could not quiet it down and that's what the meditation was teaching me was to just let things come let things pass and then nothing is permanent um, and just observe your thoughts don't get attached to your thoughts don't get attached to your emotions because uh, that's where suffering comes from is when you attach yourself to things from the future things from the past that's where anxiety or that's where depression comes from you know afterwards I was like how did how the hell did I go through my entire life without having this tool but yeah i mean after that whole vipassana retreat it really changed my my whole game changer in terms of my perspective on just consciousness and and happiness and everything but they recommend that you do it for two hours a day so you like when you come out of that retreat to maintain it they they recommend meditate for two hours a day one hour in the morning one hour at night time and i kept that up pretty well for maybe like a month but then, you know, after a while, you know, who's got time in today's society to, to sit down for two hours? You know, maybe back then when they didn't even have TV back then. So they had, you know, the whole day to do this kind of stuff. But when my meditation practice began to get off the rails, I guess, is from two hours, it went to an hour and a half to an hour to half an hour to 15 minutes. So I ended up doing like, you know, 15 minutes a day, which, you know, it's better than nothing, but it it's not really enough to get you to that kind of deep kind of meditative state that generally takes about 40 minutes so my practice got deteriorated and i kind of started going back to my old ways mm. and um and then i guess one day i came across the wim hof method i was just watching you know random youtube clips of my friends at my friend's place and then and then all of a sudden, like just randomly, the, the Wim Hof method documentary so it was came a up. Random thing. Yeah, it was a totally random thing. It just came up. And then as we were all watching it, you know, everyone thought it was very cool. But in, I was the only one that was like, I need to learn that. You know, everything that this guy's talking about, you know, strengthening your mind, strengthening your body, strengthening your immune system, everything that he was talking about completely resonated with me. Because I grew up some as I grew up in Australia, not very confident with myself. Mm. Um, you know, a ton of allergies, and so I was also a mouth breather growing up. And you know, that leads on to so many other different things that I've only realized now. 
And um, so I just grew up, you know, just being a, a wallflower, being, you know, shy, not confident and always getting sick. And, and I was always into sports. So physically I was quite strong and everything, but yeah, I would, I'd always get sick. So my immune system would always break down and, and everything like that. So when I saw that documentary and everything he was talking about and what he was guiding people through, it was just like talking to me. I felt like it was just talking to me. And I was like, I have to do that. And then, and then I literally straight after the documentary, I, I went on Google, went on online to check how I can learn off this guy. And he was booked out for like a year or two or something like that. Um, and this was before he got really popular. So I was like, okay, it's not meant to be. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not meant to learn this stuff, I guess. Uh, and then just so happens that one week later, he released a, his first uh, course in Australia. Obviously, I'm from Australia. And the reason why is because he's, he's I mean, his wife now, who has a, he has a new kid with now, uh, she's Aussie. So um, he had a reason to always go back and forth to Australia. But, you know, for me, it was great because I was the first one to sign up for that course in Australia. It was, that was, so I learned about him in 2015. And uh, I flew over to Australia uh, in early 2016 to learn from him. And um, yeah. I think it's, it's really interesting about what you said with the Wim Hof method. It's about strengthening the body, strengthening the mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the modern society now, we actually lack a lot of these stresses. We are always comfortable with mm-hmm. our warm showers, mm-hmm. yeah. comfortable shelter, yeah. and everything is so predictable. And so our bodies actually lose the ability mm. to be adaptive and to be strong. Like anything that you don't use in your body, in your system, it atrophies, it, you know, it gets weak. The concept of the Wim Hof Method is that we no longer... You know, before all this, you know, the elements, we didn't control the elements around us, you know, things like the temperature, the, the, the weather and all those kind of things. So because of those things, you know, our body and our breathing would have to adjust itself. It would regulate itself to, to meet the, the demands of the outside world or whatever we need, whether it's hunting, running away, or maybe it's really cold uh, and you need to breathe to generate heat and stuff like that. So... Over time, over all these different generations, because we've begun to, you know, technology has increased and we've begun to control all the elements around us. You know, when it's hot, we turn the aircon on or when it's cold, we put the heater on or put the clothes on. And so there's no need for our, our, the systems within our body to really activate, you know, or they lay dormant. So all these kind of things are already within. So that's what Wim says a lot is that all the things that he's teaching, we, we already have inside us. They've just, they just lie dormant. Eight to nine out of 10 people in society breathe in a way which is suboptimal. So they breathe in a way which is not serving them the best. And that's most people. And it's not I'm one really, of them. Yeah, I mean, I was one of them myself. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, and I'm still not the best breather. You know? How would you describe a non-effective way of breathing? They don't breathe deep into their lungs, okay? They generally breathe, you know, shallow breathing in mm. the upper part of their chest or the midsection, the intercostal section. They're not engaging, activating their diaphragm, which is the main muscle that you're supposed to use for, for breathing. It's, it's the muscle that our body's designed or you know, designed for breathing. And most people breathe in a way where it's shallow breathing, but they're also utilizing the wrong muscles. So for example, you know, they can do a quick, ch- you know, for those that are listening, they can do a quick check at home is what they should do is just put one hand on your belly, one hand on your upper chest, and just take a few deep breaths in and see where the movement is. And for most people, they'll notice that they expand vertically. Mm-hmm. So they, their shoulders rise up and their chest kind of rises up when they inhale. Okay, so those are actually your auxiliary muscles, your support muscles. Okay, so your main muscle that you should be using, the primary muscle, is your diaphragm. So breathing deep down into your belly and breathing through your nose. Most people breathe either through their mouth or if it's through the nose, they're breathing shallow into the upper lungs. And um, a whole host of like health issues arise from that. So most people are just breathing in a really ineffective way and they're using their support muscles as their primary muscles for breathing so the average person takes about twenty-three thousand breaths a day so just imagine twenty-three thousand times a day you're kind of lifting your shoulders up and down like that so you know later on in life if if anyone has like say you know tight you know neck shoulder problems you know back problems a lot of the times it's the re- one of the reasons one of the factors is because they're just breathing using the wrong muscles 
And, you know, 23,000 times you're doing these little kind of repetitions yeah. of lifting your shoulders and stuff, you know, over five, 10 years, that's going to accumulate into something. You know, it's really through no fault of their own. It's really just how, you know, how society is these days. And you look at everyone around you, everyone breathes, breathes the same way. You know, you're not going to really find that many people that breathe, you know, proper breathing through the nose into the belly. Everyone's kind of breathing shallow or, you know, so- Do you, you think it's a lifestyle thing? It's a lot of different factors. So one of them is definitely lifestyle, definitely um, how we are these days with technology. And we live in, you know, we have a very sedentary kind of lifestyle. And, you know, especially when people that are stuck in the office, you know, they're just kind of sitting like that and just sitting like that in a chair and like that, it just kind of forces them to breathe in a shallow way into their upper chest, you know? Um, but aside from that, if you look at human skulls from around 500 years and, and earlier, okay, they would have perfect jaw structure, bone structure and everything. And their teeth are completely straight and perfect. Okay, you would think it's the opposite, right? So what has actually happened is that we are the only species that collectively has constant issues where you know our teeth are crooked we need to take out wisdom teeth we're the only species that has to do that collectively so the reason why we we need to do that is because the last four or five generations it's kind of become i guess the industrial age and food has become industrialized so food has become softer okay so back before then people would spend on average like four to six hours chewing every day so now everyone's eating soft food, food that doesn't require too much chewing. And because of that, over four or five different generations, because we're not utilizing our jaws and our jaw and muscles and everything like that to, to do the chewing, so it becomes weak. So our jaws begin to begin to underdevelop. Okay, and over four or five generations is pretty much happening to almost everyone now, where our jaws have, have not grown to the size they need to grow. And because of that, you know, we need to take teeth out to make room for it. You know, people take at least take out four wisdom teeth normally. I myself have taken out eight teeth. And when your jaw underdevelops, that, all, that also makes your airways narrow. Mm. So that affects your breathing because the airways, the oxygen goes in, the air goes in when you're breathing, that all tightens up. I used to think you need to chew a lot for digestion. It's good for your gut, but it's actually... It's good for your gut too. It's good exactly. for digestion too. So, but it affects so yeah. many different things. I didn't yeah. know that it affects yeah. breathing. It's interesting actually when you mentioned breathing with the mouth. I've done some research and people who breathe with the mouth, their jaw structure is also different. Yeah, it literally changes the structure of your skull, of your jaw. So a mouth breather and a, a nose breather, you know, they actually have different facial structures in terms of like so i was a mouth breather growing up because i grew up in australia and uh i had a lot of allergies so my nasal cavity closed up because of the allergies and i was forced to breathe through my mouth a whole host of issues come from that of, of just mouth breathing because you know when you mouth breathe you tend to over breathe and when you over breathe you tend your body gets acidic mm. instead of alkaline so all these kind of things and over time it, your body begins to break down you know our bodies are really resilient our bodies can you know it can it can function on you know one cylinder instead of all six for for a long 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 time so a lot of people that have these issues with mouth breathing or just breathing issues like they can still probably have a long life but they have no idea that they they're not functioning at their best and they could feel way better way healthier and just perform just better as a human being and they just don't ha they don't know that's possible and and how they feel now is what they feel like is normal so let's talk about your personal breathing breathwork journey how has it evolved because obviously in the past few years you've experimented with lots of different things studied under many different teachers yeah. what are your insights how has that changed the way you live your life basically it's completely flipped it just done a 180 it's in, in the best possible way uh, i don't know if there's any yogis that listen to this podcast but there's a very famous yogi called bks Iyengar, and uh, he has this quote which is the mind controls the body but the breath controls the mind Okay, so the mind controls the body, but the breath controls the mind. So that's really what breathwork is really about, is 
using your breath to really master and control everything else in your, within your system, your mind-body system. So for me, before breath work and meditation, I had no control of any of that stuff. And I think that's most people in the world. As you know, For example, when they're stressed out, there's really nothing they can do. They can maybe pop a pill or they can just hopefully write it out you know, ride that stuff out and hopefully it just fades away after a while. Same as anxiety. You know, I had, you know, I had, I suffered, used to suffer from like probably a good six, seven years of pretty bad anxiety. And back then I didn't even know it was anxiety. I was what just, were the symptoms? Uh, I would just start to feel really sick when I had to go out to meet my friends, to do events, anything like that. So this is even just close friends. Uh, I would want to throw up, you know, going up. So it's like, like a physical reaction. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was, yeah, I was really anxious. I was kind of gagging and almost to the point of throwing up. This was happening for a good like years, several years, and it got worse and worse over time. It started off as just me feeling a bit uncomfortable, but then when it got to the end, I was literally on the verge of throwing up, and I could throw up if I wanted to. And um, and this is just meeting my own friends that my own good friends that and, you're comfortable with. Yeah, I'm comfortable with. It's crippling, you know. It's really not. It's anxiety is really, really, you know, it really messes with your life. To be honest, most of my friends they still don't know I was battling with anxiety back then, you know, because they always thought I was this kind of confident dude and everything. But no, deep down, I was like suffering from pretty just bad. Trying to hold it together on the inside. Yeah, and I and you know like I used to drink a lot. You know, I used to drink a lot of alcohol um, and, you know, I was, you know, a typical Aussie, you know, after work straight to the pub and which is, you know, down like, you know, 10 beers, 10 gold beers. And, you know, I was a pretty strong drinker and um, and I, I used to always drink, always drink. And I used to have so much fun drinking, you know. Yeah. And so that's why I used to love Hong Kong too. You come to LKF and it's just party, party, party. Everyone's drinking. But taking a step away from all that in hindsight, I realized that. Obviously, I had a drinking problem. You know, obviously, I had uh, issues with alcohol. I didn't want to admit it to myself back then. But in hindsight, I realized I went to alcohol because it helped my anxiety. And that was really it. It just numbed it? It, it takes away the anxiety, you know, and you just, you get that liquid confidence, right? Mm. So, in, I mean, that's with most addictions. Most addictions, the actual surface level thing, like the actual drug or the actual alcohol, whatever it is, usually that's not the actual problem. That's a symptom of the root cause. For me, alcohol is just the symptom. It's just that kind of top level, top level uh, layer. Mm. You know, deep down is really is social anxiety, anxiety. I didn't realize that until several years later. So was it a gradual thing where you were able to cut down the alcohol from doing the breath work and the yoga practice? Or? I mean, I, I already cut out alcohol before I started doing breath work because um, this was at a time where I, this was when I was in Hong Kong trying to raise money for the film. So I'm obviously going out mingling, social, social uh, socializing all the time. And, you know, back then I thought it was a blessing that my friend had a bar. You know, but um, now it's actually looking back, it's kind of a bit of a curse. But yeah, so I'll go to my friend's bar. Yeah, shout out to Simon. Free drinks all the time. So I'd just be just drinking all the time. It was your environment that mm. was creating a situation that would feed into your anxiety. Yeah, exactly. And you just had to change that. Yeah, and then it was actually one night I was on my way out to LKF um, to, you know, to do the usual, just get plastered and party. I just had this epiphany again where I'm like, I can't have fun without alcohol. Oh shit, I think I have a, a problem, you know? And when I realized that I couldn't seem to have fun or I'll, at least I would have a lot more fun on alcohol and I realized, okay, I think, that, I think that's a problem to actually take a proper look at. And then I started cutting down from there. And then when I kind of I went back to Australia, went into kind of depression and stuff like that, then I just pretty much quit alcohol. And I think for the, la uh, the next two years from that time, I just didn't drink any alcohol yeah wow. just completely cut it like now i you know i'll have a casual beer in there here and there with my friends and stuff after training but uh i don't drink the way i used to drink i don't drink to get drunk i you know i might just have a glass of wine or a beer or something like that but that's it these days i want to go back to what you said about the breath controls the mind oh, as yeah, i was yeah. doing research and i came across dan brulee's work and yeah. then he's one of your teachers and one yeah. thing that he said was really interesting so the way we breathe is actually a mirror. It's a reflection on what's of going our state, on. Yeah. Yes, he had a couple of um, exercises that you know, do the box breathing or the mm -mm. four in and eight out. Yeah, yeah. It was ten breaths 
mm. and my internal state, state changed yeah. so yeah. quickly. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I mean, that's exactly what breath work is really all about. And I think a lot of people shy away from breath work or they don't even consider breath work because they think uh, it's breathing. It's so simple. How can it be? How can it be so powerful? You know, but mm. it's, you know, nature's pretty funny. It's always like that. It's always the thing that's right in front of you. It's always the thing that's been in front of you the whole time. The simplest thing that can make the biggest changes. And you don't have to so, pay for it. Exactly. You know, so what kind of determines our state and our mood and all that kind of stuff? It's your nervous system. All right. It's your, your, your human nervous system, central nervous system, your autonomic nervous system. Under your autonomic nervous system, there's two branches. Okay. So on one side of the nervous system, it's your sympathetic state. And that's your fight or flight, your stress, your alert state. And on the flip side, on the other side of the nervous system, the other branch is the parasympathetic state. Okay, and that's the the kind rest and digest system. So when you're like, for example, before sleep, or when you want to be calm, you want to be in that system on that side of the nervous system. And when you're, you know, you're alert and geared up, and you want to do, you know, maybe you know, play some sports, go competition, then you want to be kind of more in that sympathetic state. Okay, or somewhere in between. So. That's really pretty much what kind of determines, dictates kind of your state, how you are. So there's three entry points to access our nervous system. The first one is movement, forward movement. So this is uh, this is uh, something I learned from uh, Andrew Huberman from Stanford Medicine. Uh, he's he's awesome. Yeah, check him out. There's not too much science as to as to why it happens, but they know it does happen. Okay, and what happens is that when you move forward, so just any sort of movement in a forward direction, it begins to calm down and deactivate your amygdala. And your amygdala is the part of your, your brainstem area where fear comes from. Excitement and fear and those kind of things, it comes from the amygdala. When you move forward, it begins to calm that down for some reason so you know as i said there's not there's not too much science that's proven why but they do, they know it does happen and maybe, you know maybe that's why when you go for a walk you go for a run you, you just feel better afterwards you know you, you feel like you're offloaded some sort of stress or anything like that mm. so the second entry point into your nervous system is your eyes your vision from an evolutionary standpoint before our eyes became eyes they were kind of like antennas, kind of like sen- like a sensory kind of thing to sense, you know, like light and, and stuff like that. And, um, but over time, it's become our eyeballs. So this is also something I learned from, from Stanford is that the way we see, it's linked to our, our, you know, the sympathetic side, the parasympathetic side through two separate pathways. So when you look at things when you're nervous, you tend to focus on things, you have that tunnel vision. Uh, you th- you're focusing on the threat or the stressor. You know, it's a survival mechanism. So when you look at things like that, that has a different pathway that connects more to your sympathetic state, your, your stress state, fight or flight state. And when you look at things from a calm you know, calm, uh, calm point of view, you know, like when you look at a sunset or horizon, like panoramic vision, that actually taps into that parasympathetic state. So your vision alone taps into these two different states Two different branches of your nervous system. Can we control how we see? Yeah, of course. You so, know? what's some what's a tip that you can share? With so, us? it's very simple. Like next time you feel anxious or stressed out, you're gonna be ha- you're gonna have that tunnel vision. You're gonna be focusing on something in particular, and when you notice yourself doing that, just switch to switch to like a panoramic vision, where like as in just visualize you're looking at sunset or sunrise. You're not focusing on anything in particular. You're kind of looking at something just overall. Okay, and that's and that's it. So it's really simple and it's, I mean, wow. if you're, if you're like, say, stressing out or having a panic attack or whatever, or, you know, you're, you're in front of people doing a boardroom meeting or presentation and you're freaking out, then I would go with the eye, the eyes first, the vision first, because you're not, obviously don't want to be doing some breathing techniques in front of everyone. Uh, you know, it just sounds creepy or it's a bit weird, <laughs> um, but, you know, you can do your, eye, your eyes and it's very covert, you know, and so you can... If once you notice yourself having that tunnel vision, that really narrow vision, when you're stressing out, just switch it to wide vision. And that's one of the quickest ways, one of the fastest ways to tap into your nervous system and bring it over to the oh, karma state. So it's kind of like losing focus, right? You're looking at something, but you're not really focusing on it. Yeah, just, just imagine you're looking at a sunrise or a sunset. You know, you're not looking at the sun directly. You're kind of looking at just the overall the horizon. So that's the second entry point into the nervous system. And the third one is obviously your breath. 
So breathing is like vision, one of the quickest and most powerful ways to tap into our nervous system. Mm. Out of all the mammals in the world, there's roughly 5,400 mammals on the entire planet. We are the only mammal that has the ability to control the way we breathe. Really? Yeah, we're the only mammals. So for every other mammal out there, it self-regulates. Their breathing is optimal and it regulates itself. So when they need to hunt or they need to run away, escape, or they need to rest and sleep or you know whatever the case may be, their breathing is going to self-regulate to get their system into what it needs to survive or to do whatever. Human beings... You know, optimally, back when we were cavemen and stuff like that, that's how it was too. You know, it was self-regulate, self-optimize itself for whatever we need to do to hunt, to escape and so on and so on. But over time, it doesn't really self-regulate anymore. We lost the ability. Yeah, we kind of, because we don't need to, because we've we've controlled all the everything around us. So Mm. we don't need to control the way we breathe. So for human beings, our breathing is no longer at its optimal. But having said that, we have that ability to control the way you breathe. That's not a freak accident, it's by design. You know, so whoever designed the human body, it's there on purpose. Can you explore the idea of adaptation as humans and how we lost our ability to adapt to the stress today? There's actually a term that uh, I heard from James Nestor, who's, who wrote an amazing book on breathing called Breathe. It uh, came out recently. It's I would 100% recommend people go buy that book and read it. I'll put that in the um, show notes. For sure. Yeah, amazing, amazing book. One of the best books on, on breathing in general. There's this term that's called disevolution. Okay, so it's it, so basically, evolution doesn't necessarily mean like evolving to be stronger. Progress. It, it's just evolving. It's just changing to adapt, changing to whatever. So. Everything that's the society around us, mm-hmm. to technology and everything, and you know everything we've just talked about before, it's made other things progress in our in our lifetime. But in terms of our breathing, it's begun to it's gone backwards. So in terms of adaptation, our breathing has so-called adapted, but it's adapted to how it is now, which is actually going backwards. So disevolution. So the way we breathe now is really messed up for most people it's really not how we're supposed to be breathing and you know our body adapts really quickly as well you know so for example when i first started training the wim hof in 2016 i was the biggest i was not good with cold at all like you know i would take a lukewarm shower and i couldn't even handle that so i was, I was really really bad with cold wow. so, i mean that's why i did it to get better at cold cold exposure so my first ice bath that i did with wim it was like around a minute 50 seconds or a minute with no breathing no training whatsoever and it was it was brutal it was it was i couldn't believe how painful it was it was absolute. it was the most stressful brutal most brutal thing i've ever done that first ice bath but then you know we train we do it ice baths every day and cold exposure every day and stuff like that and you know by the fifth fourth or fifth day i was like 12 15 minutes you know wow and i could and we, we had a time restriction because we had people doing it but i i feel like i could have stayed in there for 20 minutes maybe 30 minutes can you unpack the um the principle behind ice baths the benefits and mm. what it's trying to achieve with cold exposure it's called it's called cold thermogenesis and uh there's a lot of benefits of cold exposure you know uh it's if you look at a lot of the the medical books and stuff like that from centuries ago a lot of this ice baths in that telling people to do ice bars and stuff like that to, to help their health. So there's a lot of kind of like benefits in terms of just getting into the cold. Things like, uh, you know, it's anti-inflammatory, you know, blood flow, blood circulation, triggers something called cold shock proteins. And cold shock proteins is, is um, it's something that's um, is really, really great for you. Uh, in, you also, when you do heat and saunas, you have something called heat shock proteins. It's very, very similar. So in cold, it's called cold shock proteins. And in um say for example in like uh animals that hibernate so like say let's say a bear for example so animals that hibernate so for example a bear they're gonna eat 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 and then go in a cave and then just hibernate for like months right so during that time in the winter when they're hibernating so what happens is that the gray matter in their brain begins to shrink because there's you know they're not eating they're just staying there but when they come out of hibernation what happens is the cold itself 
it triggers something called the cold shock proteins in their brain, in their mind. And when those get triggered, their brain that has shrunk about maybe 40%, it regrows back to its original size. When we trigger things like heat, uh, cold shock proteins, it's really good for your mental state. It's also when you go into an ice bath, you're trying to trigger a stress response. And when you, your body triggers a stress response, when it's that cold, your body begins to release certain hormones, certain chemicals, things like norepinephrine and stuff like that, which are very beneficial. There's a lot of benefits in terms of what those things are. I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know specifically, yeah. but those are the kind of the hormones and the chemicals that get released that really, you know, strengthen you as a human being and, and not just strengthen you, but you feel amazing. You know, you feel like a million bucks after an ice bath and, you know, you felt that, right? I love it. I absolutely love it. it yeah. I think for me, it was that feeling of, oh my God, this is so painful. It is so hard. Mm. Um, but afterwards, I get this massive high that will yeah. last for a couple of days. Yeah, and you know, and that high is not it's not an imagination, it's really there. Those chemicals are really there. And you know, when you get into when you do the breath work and you get into that kind of cold exposure, it taps into a really deep part of your, your brain, a really deep part of your physiology, and that's where your your cannabinoid receptors are. So cannabinoid receptors are kind of the receptors that you you know, it works on when people smoke cannabis or take weed, you know. So when you get into the ice bath, you come out, you feel high you feel really good. That's one of the reasons? Yeah, yeah. You, you literally, you're getting high off yeah. your own supply. Human beings are the biggest drug factories. We, we produce so much drugs, like DMT, for example, which is in ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. We produce that stuff. So there's a guy called Terence McKenna, who's you know, one of the, the authorities on psychedelics and, and altered states. And he would say that everyone's holding, which means everyone is a drug dealer. Everyone's, you know... So Very it's really interesting. super interesting, yeah. But before everyone starts jumping into an ice bath, what kind of people should not do it? Oh, please don't just jump in an ice bath, okay? So you need proper guidance, you need training, uh, and it can be dangerous just jumping in with no guidance and in, in anything like that. What impact do you want to have in Hong Kong? The, how the Wim Hof Method came about was that Wim Hof, his wife back then, was suffering from mental health issues. So uh, she had schizophrenia, and depression and all that kind of stuff and she was diagnosed with 12 different personalities they didn't know what to do so they just gave her you know the typical pharmaceutical pills and that just made things worse and worse and if you look at the fine print of those kind of drugs it can make you suicidal and then Wim Hof's wife got it got worse and worse and then she she killed herself she jumped off a building and killed herself and left him alone with four kids it was this event in his life that kind of steered him in a direction where he was trying to find some sort of way to to help people with with mental health issues or just mental health and so that's where the Wim Hof method stemmed from was to try and find tools or create a tool that could help people that were suffering what his wife was going through mental health and stuff like that so for me that was also you know it's just I'm I'm coming from a very similar kind of um vision and 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 goal in to try and spread whims work and spread breath work as well in in, in general because uh, the Wim Hof method is just one type of breathing one type of breath work there's yeah. several many out there and you've got to find the one that works for you so Wim Hof method know? not trial and error really okay. uh, or, or speaking to someone that you know is a breath work coach and kind of you know they can observe you and, and kind of assess you and see what works best for you because the Wim Hof method is definitely not it's not it's not one size fits all so some mm. people it's actually counter it actually makes things worse for them so you really need to how can things get worse with breath work well you know for, for example um if someone is generally more sympathetic dominant in their life and they suffer from anxiety and stress and all that kind of stuff then doing a really heavy breathing technique like Wim Hof it can trigger that sympathetic state even more mm -hmm. and if for someone that's suffering from that kind of sympathetic state or anxiety it could make it worse it could trigger those states and make it even worse right so that's good to as know. not to say the Wim Hof method is bad they, these are all tools yeah and you just need to find the right ones for that person like the Wim Hof method for most people is going to be beneficial for them but for some people out there it might not be the best thing for them to do and they might you know want to do something like Budeco or, or some other breathing practice well in Hong Kong now I guess all over the world a lot of us are going through stress people losing their jobs people might lose their homes yeah 
health, loved ones. Mm-hmm. Are there any simple methods that you can share that perhaps most people can practice that can help them just day to day, even just a quick thing yeah, they can do yeah. in a moment to really yeah 100 yeah 100 for sure so for just the average person out there um first thing is really just to begin to pay attention to your breathing just breath awareness okay and just absorb uh, observe how you're breathing okay because like what you mentioned before uh about dan is that your breath tells a story it tells a story of your state So with every state that you're in, stress, anxiety, fear, or happiness, or calm, whatever, there's a breathing pattern that follows it, okay? So when you become aware of your breathing, you, begin, you can begin to observe these breathing patterns, okay? And so, for example, let's take a panic attack, for example, or anxiety attack, you know? A lot of people that have a panic attack or anxiety attacks or whatever, they feel like it comes out of nowhere, you know, it creeps up to them out of nowhere. In fact, that's not the case. If you know where to look, an hour before you have a panic attack or anxiety attack, your body's already sending signals. It's already, you know, if you know what to look for, there's already signals to say that you're heading down this path, you're heading down this track. You know, it's just say, for example, that someone like an expert mechanic, they can look at a car and be able to say, okay, that's off, that's off, that's off. And, you know, that's going to cause it to break down, you know, in two months time or, a year, or after another thousand miles or something like that. Whereas the average person like me will look at a car and be like, you switch it on, switch it off. Okay, it's good for me, you know. So that's when you begin to really observe your breath, you can really begin to tune in to all these kind of little signals and things and, and signs that your body's already showing you. You know, and you can catch on to those things. And What are those signals? You know, just first of all, things like you're breathing, you know. How shallow you, breath or yeah, what are we looking breath, for? shallow breath, you're holding your breath, you know, like your vision. You might get into that kind of that narrow vision. You might start getting like your heartbeat might start getting faster. You might be sweating and, and stuff like that. So there's all these kind of little signals that your, your mm-hmm. body's already generating an hour before that panic attack hits. So if you know what to look for, you can see those things. And, what I, and so that's why... I'm suggesting people start to pay attention to their breath, like breath awareness. Mm. Because when you can begin to observe your breathing pattern, for a lot of the times you can begin to pick up on those little kind of cues in your breath before you actually get it, like before that panic attack blooms into like a full-blown panic attack. And that's how I fixed my anxiety and stress and stuff myself is because I'm really observing my breath. Uh, like I'm always constantly observing my breath. Even now I'm paying attention to my breath, mm. but I'm not consciously putting effort into it because after a while it becomes automatic, you know? So I'm always aware of how I breathe. And when I start to, you know, breathe in a certain way, hold my breath or shall I breathe? I can, I'll pick it up before that turns into anxiety. I'll pick it up before it turns into like bad stress or, or heavy stress or something. Right. So I kind of nip it in the bud. So for those that are out there that are dealing with this whole 2020, which is pretty much everyone, you know, just begin to pay attention to your breathing. And you, if you begin to notice your breathing in a way which is not serving you, then change it. So how you should be breathing is you should be breathing in through your nose, into your belly. Mm-hmm. So into the lower part of your lungs, your belly expands, you engage your diaphragm. That's how we should be breathing. For those people that are kind of, you know, going through some anxiety or stress because of, you know, it doesn't matter if it's 2020 or any, any other issues, sit down for, you know, a couple minutes a day, five, 10 minutes a day, or even a couple minutes a day, and just sit there and just breathe in through your nose nice and gently and breathe into your belly. So your belly should expand on the inhale and contract on the exhale. And just do that for like five, 10 minutes. That in itself should put you into a more parasympathetic state a calmer state Mm. and you're exercising your diaphragm you're strengthening your diaphragm if that's not enough for someone out there maybe someone is really going through something really intense then i would recommend something for example like box breathing so box breathing is something that you can google you know there's plenty of instructions out there Mm. and box breathing is the technique that's made famous because navy seals use it it's not created by the navy seals but navy seals implement this particular breathing technique which is box breathing so this one is basically you you inhale through your nose for four seconds you then hold your breath for four seconds 
You then exhale out through your nose for four seconds and then hold your breath for four seconds. So it's four, 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 four. Okay, equal ratios on each I side. I love this one. I actually really yeah, like so that's, this Yeah, so that's why they call it box breathing or square breathing or whatever. Yeah. And just practice that. Just do that about maybe five to six times, five to six rounds. I can almost guarantee you your whatever stress or anxiety you're going through, it will melt away. It could, it could either, either get rid of it completely or it's going to reduce it a lot. Breath work is so important and we really take it for granted. It's yeah. funny, it's something that is with us all the time, but we don't optimize it and... We don't even know about it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's really the main thing. So it's really nobody's fault, you know. We're just, it's with, we're here by situation and um, I guess that's my goal is to really help educate people in Hong Kong and Asia and hopefully later on around the world as well. Yes, yeah, spread the um, awareness. Yeah, just the power of the breath. For most people, like when they're in that kind of state you know whether it's depression or anxiety or whatever they feel like they feel helpless you know they feel like there's no way out for those people just know that that there is a way out you know and that is through things like your breath work and stuff like that and and hopefully that's really my 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 mission right now is really just to help as many people realize that they have a really powerful tool that's literally right under their nose it is their nose you know You know, I want to quickly ask you though, with breathing in, I know we're always breathing with our nose, but some people suggest breathing out with the mouth. What's the difference with breathing out with the nose? Every time you use your mouth to breathe, it's a stress response. So for the people that, you know, they breathe through their mouth when they sleep, a lot of the times they'll find that they wake up because they're breathing through the mouth. And not only does that cause, you know, snoring and sleep apnea and, you know, all those, you know, bad things, but because it's a stress response, you know, you wake yourself up, you know, and you wake up in the middle of the night, you know, and you feel like you just shock yourself out of nowhere. That's because you're having a stress response breathing through your mouth. So for those people, this is what I'm doing. I'm not suggesting that everyone do this, but try it if you want to. It's safe. Um, is it's a Russian technique where you tape your mouth shut when you sleep. And that's what I've been doing. And it works? It works, yeah. Because it's, it's not to seal it off. For those that can't see, instead of covering your mouth from left to right and sealing it up completely, what you can do is get like a bit of tape, the size of maybe like a, you know, like a, like a Charlie Chaplin moustache or Hitler moustache, you know, and just tape it down there. You know, so you're not sealing completely, you're just taking it down the middle. And the purpose of that is to just train your system to keep your mouth shut when you sleep. Train and the muscle. Yeah, just to keep it to get to train to get shut and then it forces you to breathe through the nose. Because when you breathe through the nose, there's, there's so many benefits that we haven't really yet even gone through in this podcast. But breathing in through your nose compared to your mouth, it's night and day in terms of the quality of air that you, you're breathing in and you know the how healthy the how healthy it is for you so you know when you breathe through your nose on average you're getting 20 percent more oxygen in terms of 20 percent more oxygen that's bioavailable to your system in terms of volume wise through your mouth you're getting obviously getting more because it's a bigger opening but in terms of efficiency of that oxygen and actually getting that utilized in your system is roughly 20 percent more when you breathe through your nose Breath work is just such a powerful tool. It is so easy. It is so simple and it's so accessible to everybody. And also cold exposure. I think this one is a really fun one, actually, for me. It's so challenging. Yeah, yeah. I mean, after a while, people, like, it's always people that, you know, they're scared to get in there, you know, and rightly so because it's yeah. freaking cold, you know. But after they come out, so many times they're like, that was awesome. I want to get back in. And they do it a second, third, fourth time. Exactly. Um, and, you know, my mum's done it, you know. Oh, so, really? you know, like for those that for those people that are kind of worried or scared, my mum is like, you know, 60, 60 years old mm. and she killed it. You know, nice. she's actually smashed it. So if she can do it, anyone can do it. I'm going to wrap up with some rapid questions. Sure, sure. What is a book that you have gifted the most or have made the most impact on you? I mean, there's a lot of books, but I would say the, the book that made, has made the biggest impact on me uh, was when I was younger, The Alchemist. Alchemist yeah. was a great book. Um, it really kind of, and it's one of those books where every time you read it, you have a different kind of lesson from it. Um, but, that's the, it, but that's the book that probably impacted me the most back then. But in terms of the book that I gift people, give out the most, it's, it's called the, uh, the War of Art by uh, Stephen Pressfield. 
And uh, it's an amazing book. And it basically, you know, if anyone is stuck in their life, they're stagnant or they're stuck or they just feel like, you know, they can't kind of break out of that plateau or whatever, this is the perfect book for that. You know, actually, I learned, I heard about it from Joe Rogan. It's his favorite book that he gives all his friends. Oh, really? So uh, I heard it from him. I read it. I loved it. And I ended up gifting it to, to friends as well. Oh, sweet. What is the advice you would give to your younger self? Firstly, I would not change anything in my life. Um, all the things, suffering and all the stuff that I've gone through has made me who I am today. So I would not change anything whatsoever. But, you know, f- you know, for example, if there's a younger someone out there that's asking for advice from me, what I would tell them is just to firstly fix your breathing. That's mm-hmm. really super important. Fix your breathing. And um, just really just go for it whatever it is in your life you know if you have any passions or if you have anything in your life don't don't let anyone else hold you back you know don't let someone else tell you you can't do it uh just just go for it listen to your gut really learn to listen to your instincts and just give everything a go just yeah just go for it i mean life is a life is a full spectrum experience where you want to get the most experiences in your life. I mean, you don't want to be one of those, you don't want, like, you know, you always hear those stories about people on a deathbed and the thing they always talk about is the regrets of the things they didn't do. So don't be that person and go do the things that you want to do, especially when you're young and you can do it. Absolutely. What is an idea that you would like to share with, with our audience that can improve their well-being? An idea is just pretty much utilize all the tools that I, that we mentioned in this podcast. So movement, forward movement, uh, vision and breathing. You know, if you, if you arm yourself with these tools, then you are a free man. You know, you are a free person. You know, you're no longer a victim to your, your states, to depression, mm-hmm. to anxiety and so on. You can control that stuff, you know? So you go from, you go from a, a, a passenger to the pilot. Absolutely. And you can take ownership of your life. That's great advice. And do you have any other closing thoughts or anything that I've missed that you would like to share with our audience today? Nah, just breath is super important, super simple. So if you want, follow me on, on Instagram. Uh, I, you know, I post things on, on breathing and stuff like that. Where can people find you? What it's are your handles? It's Primal Breathwork, one word, P-R-I-M-A-L-B-R-E-A-T-H-W-O-R-K, Breathwork. Uh, just follow me on that. Otherwise, well, well, my website, primalbw.com. Just a little quick plug. I have a mushroom, medicinal mushroom company that sells, you know, you know, the best quality kind of like cordyceps and reishi and stuff like that. And that's one of the biggest, also a big game changer for me in terms of my health as well. For those guys, if you're looking for, you know, that kind of stuff, look me up. It's called Alpha Dynamics. Yeah, I've and, tried uh, it. It's really good yeah, quality. You know, definitely. You know, uh, Dave Asprey co-signs it. You know, he supports it. Yeah, I saw so, that. Um, Brilliant. Yeah, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So, um, you know, hop on the mushrooms, hop on the breath work, and uh, you're going to feel amazing. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Brian. Cool. Thank you, Donna. I hope you enjoyed this conversation of breath work and walking away with a deeper knowledge on the thing that we do over 20,000 times a day. By being aware of our breath, we become aware of ourselves and bringing the control back within. You can find Brian on Instagram and Facebook at Primal Breathwork, P-R-I-M-A-L-B-R-E-A-T-H-W-O-R-K. The show notes of this episode are on my website, interested.blog. And I love receiving your messages. They encourage me to continue bringing you helpful wellness content. And they also help others find the podcast too. So if you like my work, hit subscribe share with a friend and write the review on the podcast platform.